On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we take a look at the KU-Oklahoma game, what went right, what went wrong for KU, and maybe a little early look at the Baylor game as we're joined by Nick Schwert. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and Lawrence from Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 o'clock. And you can give me a follow at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. Nick Schwert joins me for today. And of course, you can hear Nick on 610 in Kansas City as the producer of Cody and Gold. You can also hear him on the Wave in the Wheat podcast, which you can uh, find with the Odyssey app and whatnot. Thanks for making Locked on Jayhawks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's edition of Locked on Jayhawks, we're going to go through some of the takeaways from that KU-Oklahoma game with Nick, maybe some of the positives, some of the negatives as well. And actually, I do want to get to uh, a few KU basketball things late night in the fog was Friday, and that's kind of the signaling of, I guess, the start, the 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 lead up to uh, the basketball season here. So Nick, we'll start with this first. Um, I guess positive from the weekend, the offense still put up 42 points. Jason Bean still put up good numbers for this team. I, I think Jalen is still clearly the better quarterback there. You saw maybe some, I don't know what I called like processing errors, whether it was missing a guy on the read option, like when to give it, when to keep, whether it was a couple of the interceptions he threw, uh, maybe a couple dangerous passes that, that went or a couple plays where you saw him go kill the play and then it did not work at all with whatever they changed into. Um, so clearly there is a difference between Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels. And I think maybe that was lost a little bit with how well Jason played supposedly in camp and, and how he played against TCU in the second half. But also I think overall, you're pretty pleased with, with what a backup quarterback could do for you in that game. What were kind of your thoughts on the difference between Jason uh, being to Jalen Daniels and and what he can be for the offense? Like, can he be good enough for this team to win another game or two? Yes, I think he can be good enough for them to win another game or two. But I think you kind of hit it. The processing errors, to me, it's just turnovers. You know, he has thrown three turnovers in the last six quarters or three interceptions in the last six quarters, whereas Jalen threw one. And it was week one against an FCS team. So that is the difference between this offense with Jason Bean and the previous offense. That was one of the top 10 offenses in the country with Jalen Daniels. I don't know if that's just going to be part of the equation with Jason, that you're going to have to live with the mistakes, which I guess makes sense when you're talking about a backup quarterback. But I was really surprised with how maybe hesitant he seemed to want to run the football because we know like he might be the fastest guy on the team. Like this is a legit four, four guy at quarterback. And I thought that Andy Kotelnicki would sort of unleash that and leverage Jason Bean's speed against an Oklahoma defense that has been one of the worst run defenses in the country. And I was really, really surprised. Like the biggest surprise that I had from that game on Saturday was that Kansas didn't dominate the ground game like the last three teams who played Oklahoma had. Yeah, I, I think that um, you probably could have also added the the complimentary fact of that it's not just you know how they could have dominated on the ground, but also that probably would have helped out the defense a little bit. So it's weird because the offense did put up 42 points, and you know on one hand, you have a backup quarterback, you put up 42 points, why should there be any like negatives to that? 
but it felt like there were some missed opportunities with the defense collecting you three turnovers that maybe you didn't take advantage of all of them. And also like what you said with, with the, the lack of running the football it felt like there was more on the bone there. And that's just kind of a weird thing for me to wrap my head around that they did score 42, but there are some negatives there. And I guess bigger picture wise, after what you saw from the offense with Jason Bean, I guess the question for me is that when Jalen Daniels was in there, they looked like one of the top three offenses in the big 12 and whether the defense was, you know, bottom two or three in the big 12 or not, that was enough for you to kind of, you know, be a bowl contender for you to be a team that who knows, maybe if Jalen's healthy all year, they do win eight or nine games. If the offense has taken a step back without Jalen Daniels to being, you know, maybe a top three offense in the Big 12 to now all of a sudden maybe only being the, the fifth or sixth best offense in the Big 12. And if you do have the worst defense in the Big 12, like, is that good enough to, to win another game and go bowling? Because I think at this point, like, that's the only question. Can you win one more game to make a bowl game? Yeah, I, th- I still yeah. think they're going to win one more game. I mean, 42 points, which this offense, this is here's the here's the silver lining, is that even with a backup quarterback, your offense has proven you can score with anybody. You can. Now, the turnovers were there, and Oklahoma had a lot of quick drives, which is why Oklahoma ran 100 plays. They ran 100 plays. They had 700 yards of offense. So I can understand like the idea of wanting to look at it and say, well, the defense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. That's who Kansas was going to be this year. You were going to be an elite offense and you were going to have a defense that was going to give up some points. Well, now, as you mentioned, when you go from being the third best offense or the second best offense to the fifth or sixth, well, now all of a sudden you're putting way more pressure on the defense to sort of pick up some slack. And I just don't know that that's going to happen this year, at least consistent, consistently. But if you can score 35, 40 points in every game, they're going to get another win. I am convinced of that. I still think this is a seven-win football team. I know that a lot of people want to look at this and say, okay, where are the wins going to come? That's not how it works in college football. Look at what happened. Look at what happened on Saturday, man. Like There are always surprising losses. It's not always the ones where you circle on the calendar and say, oh, that's where they're going to trip up. That's where they're going to trip up. Sometimes it's the games that you least expect. I still think this is a seven-win football team. Offense is more consistent than defense. Offense has more control over a game than defense does. I still believe that this is a team that's going to go out there. Maybe it's against Texas Tech. Maybe it's against Baylor this weekend. And they're going to have a turnover-free game. And when that happens, then all of a sudden, it's going to become a track track meet to see who can score 40 points. You know, first to 45 wins. I still think there are games like that on Kansas's schedule. I think when I walked away from that game, from the offense too, I... I looked at it and I said, you know, tight ends played well. You had Mason Fairchild have the big game. Offensive line, I mean, the pass blocking was unbelievable. Like some of the 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 depths of pockets and, and the amount of time that Jason Bean had to throw was was fantastic. The receivers obviously had a great game. Like Lawrence Arnold goes off, and, and that's been such an underrated unit for this team this year. So I guess, you know, we, we've shouted out Brent Deerman so many times for recruiting Jalen Daniels to KU. Should we shout out like Emmett Jones for, for leaving the cupboard kind of full for KU? I know – Maybe Luke Grimm wasn't someone that he totally wanted, but um, the rest of them, it's, it's, I guess, an Emmett Jones thing. Uh, and you look across the board, like Devin Neal had a big game. Kai Thomas got his first touchdown. I look at like everything offensively, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with where that was. So um, I guess we just look at this game overall. You lost by 10 on the road. It was another kind of close-ish game. I think the score wasn't totally indicative, though, 
of that. Um, and that's, I guess, the thing that you're kind of mentioning. Like, over the last five games, the way that the Big 12 goes, probably four of those five games, if not all five, are going to be within 10 points, single digits, right? And if that's the case, don't you just roll the dice enough time and you find your way on top of some of those close games, at least close to 50%? Yeah, I've said this to you before that I'm still waiting for Kansas to look outmatched on Saturday. Like, you're right. That was a 10-point loss, but Oklahoma had it at, at a, a two-touchdown game for basically the, the final three quarters, right? But I just want to mention, I did get Kansas at plus 10 right before kickoff. So that means the last two weeks, even though they lost, they covered in both of them. They're kind of doing what's expected of them with a backup quarterback for the last six quarters. So I don't know. I know that people, I know that it's easy to see two straight losses and then look at a, a good Baylor team that you have to play this Saturday on the road and say, okay, like this is kind of where, you know, the, the story falls apart. And it does to an extent because you lost your starting quarterback who was a Heisman candidate. Like, I don't, I don't feel like this team is all of a sudden being exposed. No, they're the same team we thought they were. They're still a really good offense. They're just not an elite offense without Jalen. And this defense is still something that's going to hold them back. But I can go back over the last decade of the Big 12 and find a lot of good teams that had great offenses, bad defenses, and still won six or seven games, which is what I think this team's going to do. I want to get into to some more from the uh, game. Look ahead to basketball. Look ahead to the Baylor game a little bit as well here. But first, from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out, which that's everyone. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. I use it all the time when I'm filling up, especially... And, you know, it's just super easy to use. It's just a couple quick taps on an app on your phone. You might think it's too good to be true, but it's not. It works and it's a no brainer. And that's extra money for me to lose on sports betting over the weekend or to eat a hot dog if I'm out at a Chiefs game or something. To get started, download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Then you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. Okay, some negative stuff here. I guess we'll call this the negative Nick segment since we have Yawn. The defense was in shambles in that game, giving up 52 points, 700 total for the game. And again, like this is something where you can probably do a little bit of mental gymnastics and say, well, when Dylan Gabriel's playing for Oklahoma, that's a top five offense in the country, or that's a top 10 offense in the country. Even if that's true, though, I, I think the level of disorganization and trouble like lining up and just guys running wide open in the secondary, falling for double moves, that specifically is not something we've seen from the KU defense this season. So is that something that worries you moving forward, or do you just kind of take it as it was a learning experience in a terrible game? No, I mean, it's definitely concerning because this isn't new. 
this wasn't something that popped up and we started to say, whoa, where'd this come from? They gave up seven over seven yards per play last week to TCU. They gave up exactly seven yards per play against Oklahoma. What was most frustrating was that they couldn't get off the field on third down. Oklahoma went 15 of 21, Derek, 15 of 21 on third down. So it's that is is so frustrating to take away from a game where you feel like if you could just have gotten five stops, five stops, this is a completely different football game. But that wasn't the case. But the, the reason why it, it, it's concerning and that, yes, it's probably going to continue to cost you games. You don't have a good defense. You don't. But it's it's not new concerning. It's not like now I'm concerned. I was already concerned about this defense because I thought performances like that were possible. And now we just saw it. So, I mean, there's going to be more good offenses. Oklahoma is a really talented offense. I don't know that they're the best offense in the Big 12. You're going to go up against more teams that are going to move the ball and score. And the formula for this team is always going to be the same. Score 40. Score 45. That's Big 12 football in Kansas. Is, you know, this, it's, we're, we're, we're new to this at Kansas where it's like, hey, this is how a lot of teams in the Big 12 win football games. It's why you know, so many other people from around the country sort of throw disrespect at the Big 12 because they say it's, it's not the same. It's just high-scoring offenses with no defenses. That's who Kansas is now. They're in the mix with the Big 12, and this is how, this is how the game is played in this conference. I think you mentioned on last week's show, you thought that the Baylor game was going to be KU's most winnable moving forward. And now that's upon us. We just saw Baylor this past Thursday night. They lost to West Virginia. And honestly, if you think about it, it's pretty much the same game that Kansas played with West Virginia. It was, you know, in the 40s, close game. It's just Kansas won the coin flip game. Baylor lost it. But that should give you confidence that, hey, Kansas won against a same opponent on the road that Baylor lost to that you should be competitive here. I think the spread right now is at seven and a half after it opened at nine points. Do you still think, especially now that Blake Shapen, I don't know if he's going to play or not with the injury, this is KU's most winnable game remaining? I think Texas Tech is probably the right answer. I may have gotten a little carried away <laughs> when I said Baylor. I'm just down on Baylor, I think, in general. So I was probably being a little overdramatic with it. I do think it's a winnable football game. Uh, what's the current spread? Do you have it? Seven and a half. Seven and a half? That seems like a big spread considering the final line for Oklahoma was 10. It was at seven, seven and a half. It was kind of fluctuating between seven and 10 all week. Uh, I just don't trust Baylor's offense. I don't trust Baylor's offense. They lost a lot from last year. I think we're used to seeing them have a really good quarterback and they don't have a really good quarterback this year. I know they moved the ball against West Virginia, but to me, I kind of view them the same way I view West Virginia, at least in terms of talent. Like this is, to me, it's a, it's a more even matchup. With Oklahoma, you can at least convince yourself that this is a really talented team that's underperforming because they're going through so much turnover, both in terms of roster and coaching from a year ago and sort of searching for an identity. I don't think you make that same sort of excuse for Baylor. I think you just think this is another team in the Big 12. And if you let go of what you thought they were going to be from before this season, I think you would come away saying this is a fairly even matchup. They've got a better defense. But even with Jason Bean, Kansas has a better offense than Baylor. So we'll see how that ends up shaking out on Saturday. But seven and a half things, it seems like a big line to me. Yeah, and again, Blake Shapin, the, the starting quarterback for Baylor, had a head injury against West Virginia. You never know what that's going to do kind of on a day-to-day, week-to-week. Let's say KU does 
I mean, obviously, if they win the game, you're accomplishing bowl eligibility parties and all that sort of stuff. If KU loses to Baylor on Saturday, and let's say it's a, you know, it's it's not a blowout, but it's it's kind of like the Oklahoma game in terms of, yeah, it's like a 10, 14 point game, but felt like maybe it was a little bit more than that. Do you think, I don't know, panic is way too strong of a word here, but that sort of idea is going to set in that, uh-oh, bowl eligibility is now in question. I think so. I think, and that is more of, I think that's more of a, a nod to who Kansas has been. Because even when they were 5-0, and there was sort of this feeling that this isn't real. This is Kansas football. They have been the laughing stock of the nation for the past 10 years. This is not real. This is not going to sustain over the course of the season. And especially you could have said that before the TCU game because you knew how tough that stretch of games was going to be. Playing TCU at home and then back-to-back games at Oklahoma and at Baylor. It felt like that was go- that was conceivable. And now it feels like it's happening. So it's almost like confirming your worst suspicions that, oh, once they start playing good teams, then they're going to be exposed for who they really are. But Derek... This is what good teams do. You know, they beat other good teams. Now, if you think Kansas is one of them, then you would hope to see them go and win, but they thought they lost their starting quarterback, who was one of the most electric players in the country. It's not an excuse. It's a fact. How many? Look at what Oklahoma looked like without Dylan Gabriel, with Davis Bevel. That was ugly. What he, he threw for 38 yards against Texas, Derek. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to make excuses, but. Even if they lose this game to Baylor, I still think there are more winnable games on the schedule. And I would just go back to what I said earlier, which is that I'm still waiting for this team to look outclassed. I'm still waiting for one other team to make Kansas look like they didn't belong. Because in years past, that was every single week. And we are now seven weeks into the season and it hasn't happened once. All right, I want to get into some basketball talk, but uh, real quick here. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College title, Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Kansas game or throughout the history of our alma mater. This week's thrilling moment from the KU-Oklahoma game, I, I think it would have to be the, the Lawrence Arnold, the first touchdown. Jason Bean throws it, gets unbelievable pass blocking all sorts of time, launches it downfield, kind of in a double double coverage uh, maybe a little bit of a dangerous throw, but Lawrence Arnold comes up with the catch, gets in for the touchdown. He had a great game. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Okay, so Nick, let's finish up with a little bit of basketball. Late Night in the Fog was on Friday, and I'm not going to ask you to give me any like big takeaways from Late Night in the Fog because we both know that can be a very unproductive thing to do, um, but that feels like it I didn't watch. Me. Just I just want to make that perfectly clear. I'm glad you didn't because I didn't watch a second of it. Perfect. Uh, but I feel like that does kind of signal the the start of oh, it's it's basketball preseason and whatnot. Um, so I guess the the big question for me because I maybe the biggest takeaway was just something Bill Self said. He said that you know it seems like the starting lineup would basically have Grady Dick, Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson, and Kevin McCuller, which it's not that that's a huge surprise, but that the center position is the most up for grabs. And 
for me, I thought coming into the beginning of the offseason, like Zach Clements would be the guy. Seems like he hasn't really taken advantage of that opportunity. I know um, the field of 68 with like Jeff Goodman and three men weave and a bunch of those guys came out with like a basketball preseason PDF called the Almanac. And they talked to all the coaches and they have Ernest Uday as the starting center. I've heard a lot of good things about Zuby Edgifer maybe being more college ready than Ernest Uday. Obviously, you have Cam Martin kind of uh, in the background, too, after redshirting last season. What do you make of the center position? Who's who's your pick? Put a, put a claim on it right now. Who's the starting guy? Uh, because there is no obvious choice, I'm going to go with the most obvious choice, and it's Zach Clements. I think we have a tendency to get really cute with it, with uh, starting lineups and rotation predictions before the season. Uh, if you're telling me that the year after winning a national championship, Bill Self is going to start a freshman center. I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. What do we know about Bill Self? He goes with what he trusts. And at the two positions we're most likely to talk about here, the two most important positions on the court for a Bill Self team, center and point guard, right? The five and the one. He goes with trust. Not just are you the best of the bunch, right? Because, uh, Ernest Uday may be the most talented of all the bigs on the Kansas roster. He may be the best scorer. He may be the best rebounder. Ultimately, it's, are you in the right position? Are you doing everything you need to do? Do you know where to be in all the offensive sets that we're going to run? And are you going to do your job to the point where you're not screwing up somebody else's? That was the problem with Remy Martin for a lot of last season. It wasn't that he wasn't the best point guard. We knew he was the best point guard. It was that the coaching staff didn't trust him to be in the right spot consistently enough. So going into this season, I'm going to go with the one guy who is a, a legit five and B has played the most of anybody at that position. And that's Zach Clements. Like what's the argument against it? I mean, I think that in a bill self offense, like if you're looking at the rim protection aspect and the, I don't know, physicality of it, like being a, a low block scorer. We haven't seen that from Zach. I'm, I'm not saying it's not there. Like it might be. We just didn't see a ton of it. Uh, maybe Uday and Edgefer have more of that from that aspect. To be clear, I agree with you. I, I still go Zach Clements right now. And a big reason why, this is something that I've kind of talked about on RCST, but it's the idea that like freshman centers actually don't play a ton under Bill Self. Uh Little trivia question for you. Um, Nick, do you know the only freshman center to play more than 20 minutes per game under Bill Self at KU? Oh, the only freshman center to play more than 20 minutes per game. Did it does it have to be a full season? Yes, it has to be a full season. Hmm. I'm gonna say. Does Darrell Arthur count as a center? Because that's my guess, if so. Um, I don't remember if I counted him as a center or not. I don't think I did because they had other guys like, you know, Sasha Khan. Okay, and so Jackson. is it is it is it Embiid? It is Embiid. So okay. the one guy who has, because there's only been four who have even done 15 plus minutes. And one of those was Markeith Morris, who like counted as a five on basketball reference as part of this. So even four have even got 15 plus minutes. But yeah. Uh, Joel freaking Embiid, who's a perennial MVP candidate, he's the only freshman center to get 20 or more minutes. 
Yeah. So do I think that Ernest Uday is going to join the ranks of Joel Embiid this year? I do not. This is going to be a rotation. It is. I'm just warning everybody now. And this is what's going to happen all year. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you exactly how the season's going to play out right here. You didn't even ask me, but here it is. Um, Everyone is going to say, oh, this guy needs to play more. Why isn't this guy play more? And that player will never play more. All of these guys will average like 15 minutes per game. There won't even really be a number one five. Everyone will be frustrated and say that this guy needs to play more. That guy needs to play more. Why is this guy playing at all? And it's just going to be a constant conversation until the season ends in March. That, yeah. There you go. Well, I, that's how, that's and, how this and, big man rotation is going to shake out. I, there's going to be so many comments. I feel like where it's like, man, if only we had David McCormick back, which just kind of funny <laughs> after where we were last season. Yeah, no point. kidding. Well, he is uh, Nick Schwert. Again, you can check him out on the Wave in the Wheat podcast and producer of Cody and Gold on 610 in Kansas City from 10 to 2 during the weekday. Nick, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks, brother. All right, that's Nick Schwert joining us here. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we are going to keep up with the KU football action. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about, you can reach out at D Johnson Radio on Twitter is where you can find me. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're now on YouTube. Obviously, if you're watching on YouTube, you know that, but you can check out the uh, audio versions as well. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. See some of you on Rock Chalk Sports Talk later today. Deuces.